Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Season 7 of Escaping Society, Episode 73, The Boy Scout Motto. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And this episode is uh, inspired by um, the shit hitting the fan and um, what that means to you. Uh, In these uncertain and unprecedented times, got me thinking about well, what would I do if something crazy happened, whether it's, uh, you know, martial law or uh, pandemic, you know, affecting my supply of food or toilet paper? <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so I just started thinking about, like, what is my plan? Do I have a plan? And what's it all about? What's it all about? Yeah, and the Boy Scout motto, by the way, is... Always be prepared. So it's kind of our prepper episode. Um, and uh, we want to explore this. Neither one of us are preppers. And I guess we'll talk about why we don't consider ourselves preppers. Um, kind of a difference in philosophy. But uh, I have derived a lot of uh, interesting ideas from books I've read. Um, I just stumbled ac- across a prepper book one day. I don't remember which one. And I was like, wow, there was actually a lot of things I'd never heard of before, like survival, kind of urban survival things. Um, so I started reading quite a few more prepper books and, uh, gained a lot from it. So, so that's sort of where I'm coming from. And our dog, uh, said, <laughs> cause we're talking to this iPad. He's been quiet all morning. He thinks we're talking to someone hiding in the grass and is alerting for that person. That's not there. He's too prepared. Good Lord, Sherlock. All right. Um, yeah. So getting into, uh, prepping, what are you preparing for? Gumby actually asked on a couple of the uh, survival and prepper websites or Facebook pages, like, what would you like to hear about? And we're going to try and incorporate some of those uh, topics and questions into the episode, knowing full well that we are not preppers. So this is, like Gumby said, kind of our take on the whole subject of prepping, as well as maybe some things that we're trying, some things that we've uh, run into, some things that we have actually done. Well, I know you've got kind of got this organized in a way, so feel free to say I'll get to that later. But uh, the question arises in my mind after you saying that, why don't you consider yourself a prepper? Yeah, um, realistically, I don't have a place to hoard a bunch of stuff and things. So <laughs> a year's worth of food. I mean, there are people that make um, hidden caches in, I'm guessing, the woods And then they have like some sort of map that they've drawn out or um, they take a picture of the location. And and maybe sometimes people take pictures like with their family or their dogs. So it doesn't look like what the hell is this picture of. But 
I think I'm more along the lines of instead of trying to hold on to this way of life, just storing and stashing canned foods and and other non-perishables, what are some skills that I can begin to develop now that will allow me to be free from that? And that's not to say that I wouldn't hoard a few canned things, but I just, I mean, I don't know where to put them. Our van is pretty full with our stuff. Yeah, I'd say to answer that question myself, why I don't consider myself a prepper is, uh, and I know these are general broad strokes, so this might not apply to every prepper, but it seems like a lot of this philosophy stems from a place of fear. What Mm -hmm. if the shit hits the fan? Are you ready when the shit hits the fan? So there's a couple things right there that I uh, don't find that I align with, like the fear. For one thing, I do know there is a lot to be afraid of if society collapses or when society collapses. Um, It's going to be hard for everybody. There is no truly prepared person. Um, But I don't know, coming from a place of like, oh, my God, are you ready for when something bad happens? I find myself coming more from a place of something bad is happening. For me, the shit is hitting the fan and it's been hitting the fan for a long time. And the sooner the society collapses, the better for the world, the life that lives on this planet, including us. Um, you know, we've talked in other episodes like Patches about all the diseases we actually get from civilization, even as we're multiplying and overpopulating the planet. So I'm kind of rooting for the end of civilization. It's not a fear-based thing for me. Um, and in line with that, that, that first difference puts me on a different trajectory. For instance, I start wanting to learn about ways not to need modern devices, Mm -hmm. not to keep things running, not to figure out how to have electricity in my house, which of course we don't have. Um, But it puts me on a different trajectory where it seems like a lot of the preppers are wishing civilization was more sustainable and wanting to maintain their lives as closely as possible to what was happening before for instance, you hear a lot about you know generators, uh, hoarding, stockpiling things from food to toilet paper to whatever. Gold um, and silver. Yeah, Teresa just kind of put gave me a challenge this morning. She came back from taking a shit in the woods, and she's like, "I just used leaves and just finished off with toilet paper." So I decided to one up her, and I didn't use the toilet paper at all. I just used leaves. But that's one of the things, for instance, we're exploring. How to free ourselves right now. I mean, we even picked up some corn cobs on our walk this morning that were on the road, like deer corn hunting stuff, and are going to try maybe soaking it and using that to wipe our asses, because that's apparently what people did before toilet paper. So just ways to free ourselves from civilization, not waiting for when the shit hits the fan. But a lot of these things, I feel like there's huge overlap, because by freeing ourselves from from civilization, which is already harming the planet— um, should not continue any longer. I mean, that would be the ideal if it stopped today, if it stopped yesterday. But that prepares us. That's kind of our different take on prepping. So for me, it kind of separates us from the larger prepper group. But there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, and uh, we'll keep you in the loop about whether or not either of us get butt spiders. Yeah. <laughs> from using the leaves. Oh, you will know. <laughs> um, yeah, and... Living where we do in the southeastern United States, we've had brushes of times when people would consider like the end of the world as we know it or shit hitting the fan when there's hurricanes or other 
bigger storms that maybe take out electricity. And I think that's one thing too, that preppers are, um, like you were saying with generators or solar panels or what have you, they're trying to hold on to electricity. And we were, we were talking yesterday about how like the end of the world as we know it is kind of linked to our power supply, our electricity. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was wondering like what defines the end of civilization, like widespread disease, got that check, uh, violence, got that check. You know, what's that one thing that it's like, pretty much everybody's going to agree. Wow. The shit has hit the fan. This is what we've all been talking about. And I think it boils down and greatly oversimplifying to electricity. When the power goes off and it's not coming back on, I think that's when it's going to feel like to pretty much everybody, this is the end of civilization. Um, and yeah, that, uh, that's, a. uh, you know, who's prepared for that. That's going to be the difference of who has been, who has prepared for that. And, I gave a criticism of prepping, you know, being fear-based a minute ago. I also want to throw in there, here's the good side of it to me. Um, And that's that it does create a buffer. Like, for instance, let's say when the shit hits the fan, we're imagining an event. You know, that's what Hollywood kind of leads us to wait for. This is the day the aliens landed. This is the day the machines rose up. Judgment Day. (laughs) This is the day the zombies started walking and that first news story appears on TV. You know, this thing happens. So I would agree that what's going to follow whatever that big event where it feels like the end of civilization to everybody is a lot of violence, a lot of chaos. And this is where the preppers are going to be strong because your survival skills, they're going to help you. But those people that have a stockpile of ready-made, easy food, that have guns, that have ammo, and we're going to talk about some concerns with this stuff, that have the generator, they are going to have a huge advantage during that worst period. So I think that's where the preppers really shine. That's where it's a really smart thing. What I don't see a lot in prepping groups is what comes next. For instance, having that, as long as you're coupling it with survival skills, the skills to outsur- to, to, to be able to do what comes next, um, that seems like a really strong foundation. Yeah, and you were saying, like, would people be prepared? Or you were saying something to the effect of, like, you know, uh, doing things to be prepared. But nobody is going to really be prepared with what might possibly be considered, you know, the end of the world as we know it. Cause we're not in it. We haven't, we haven't felt it. We've, we've had tastes of it like this year, 2020 with the pandemic, it's, it's been different. And yet it's been almost so subtle that it's hard to remember how life was just a few months ago. Yeah. That's what I'm, when people talk about the shit hitting the fan, I'm more and more thinking what it's more likely going to be is a slow thing. It's going to feel, I believe, always like it hasn't happened yet, but it's looming. It creates anxiety. It makes us worried. It fuels preppers, you know, people like preppers. But I think that for a very long time, it's always going to feel like it could happen in the next five years, the next couple of years. Though, if somebody saw where we are now, maybe even from as recent as 10 years ago, to them, they would be like, what are you talking about? The shit hit the fan. My God, you guys have a global <laughs> pandemic? Like, there's how many hurricanes? I mean, the shit has hit the fan. 
But it's that boiling frog thing that we've talked about, that Daniel Quinn talks about. It's just slow enough where it always feels like, no, no, not yet. Because I think both of our, our, our greatest strength and our greatest weakness is our adaptability. Yeah. We can, it gives us huge survival value. We're omnivores. We can eat meat. We can eat plants. We can adapt to very cold climates. We can adapt to very hot climates. I mean, the human animal is a marvelously adaptable animal. But, you know, you bring in these uh, intelligence groups, people that manipulate us for marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, politicians. They know how to adapt us in ways that we should not adapt to, and I think that's part of why we will not see when the shit hits the fan, not in a real deep way, because we'll adapt to it. It'll still feel – we'll make it the new normal, as we already have. I mean, consider if you start – consider this. Mm -hmm. If you start researching the differences of what's going on today, the amount of chemicals, the amount of poisons, what the water looks like, what the air is like, how many animals, et cetera. I mean, it just goes on and on. Compare that to 100 years ago. We've adapted, and we shouldn't have. Yeah, and I just had, you know, the question written down, like, hasn't it already started? Like, we're thinking, oh, it might be a slow, I think we're already in it. Like you said, looking, um, you know, backwards 10 years, if people would not say, uh, didn't we just pass the threshold from all the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, like the parts per million or whatever? Yeah, we just keep bumping that number up, and it seems to be okay. Another five years, another five years. Um, when you were looking into prepping, like just different local groups, there was often a common thread of Christianity, oddly <laughs> enough. Yeah, that, that, that baffles me. There's a lot of Christian preppers, and uh, I always get kind of confused about the, the philosophy because to me— my understanding of Christianity is that they are waiting for the rapture, that the people who have gone to church, who consider themselves Christians, who have followed God's law faithfully, um, this is when God comes and takes you home to that final paradise, your great reward. So I don't understand why this philosophy <laughs> both justifies the end. You know, it's like if you're a Christian, you've always thought the end was coming. So Whatever we're doing to the world, it's it's foreordained. It's not like something we could choose something differently because the Bible tells us we're going to do this. It's already prophesied. We're going to do this. We're going to destroy the world. The, pro, the, the rapture is going to come, and all that God's faithful followers will be taken home. I don't understand how prepping feeds into this. I got I to gotta wonder if there's that many Christians who are like, Oh shit! You know, like <laughs> I don't think God's taken me where I want to go. I better just fucking get some generators because I think I'm gonna be left behind. You know, I better I better figure out how to survive this. Yeah, it's really it's really strange. I mean, I was just thinking, uh, if if Jesus hasn't returned, are they like trying to prolong their stay on Earth so that? They can witness that? I don't know. Yeah, and if the Lord moves in mysterious ways and God's will be done, <laughs> isn't this all God's will? So, I don't know. It's just, it seems like a clumsy fit to me. Um, but yeah, I, I would invite anybody who, if, if you happen to be a Christian prepper, um, please, you know, comment. Like, let us know. I'm really, I, I don't understand how it how it bridges together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Good point. And uh, our website, which we'll say at the end, has a contact form, so you can use that to uh, to contact us. So we, we were kind of talking about our stance on prepping and the question, what are you preparing for? For some people, this might look like backpacking. 
for example. Or it might look, you know, like we were saying about the hurricane. Maybe you're going to have three or five days or two weeks where you your life is completely mixed up. Maybe your house isn't ruined, but the, the water's off, the power's off, and you got to figure out what to do. Um, do you have a plan? And that, can, again, depending on what you're preparing for, that could look like a lot of different things. But uh, Gumby, you were reading in this book by Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, that when your mind, when your brain is under stress, it's not operating as well as you would think it would. Yeah, I'm trying to practice talking a little bit differently because I don't want to come across as somebody that's like telling people what to do. Uh, You know, this is just a conversational exploring these. So it occurs to me, um, you know, you referred to that book Blink by Gladwell. He cites a lot of studies, and I've heard studies in other places. It's been shown over and over that when you are under periods of intense stress, um, you make bad judgment calls. He talks about this case of, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote this song, 41 Shots. It turns out it's about this black man from, I forget what country, he's an immigrant. And uh, there's a one misunderstanding after the other as he gets in a confrontation with these cops, I believe it was in New York. And the final misunderstanding is he pulls out his wallet to show them who he is, and they think it's a gun, and they shoot. And so there's so many studies that show that this is often what happens in times of high stress with soldiers, with cops. You know, uh, he even questions about, not that there isn't racism on the police force, but maybe too many things are getting put under that umbrella, that what might actually be happening is stress, you know, a a charged situation where everybody starts making bad decisions. Um, So I found that really interesting and relevant. You know, let's step away from the racism question for a minute of if you're in a stressful situation and when you finally decided the shit is hitting the fan, you can bet your ass that's going to be a stressful situation. No matter how prepped you think you are, no matter what kind of life you have, we're living out here like homeless hobos with a van. You know, the impact of that, you might say, is a lot less for us than, say, someone who's right in the middle of a city, uh, you know, with bills, et cetera, et cetera, plugged into the grid. But I know from this pandemic how fast things can happen and that it does impact us. Mm-hmm. We're not prepared for it. Neither are you. So you're going to be stressed out. And any any plan you already have in place of what to do is going to be so helpful. One less thing that you have to think about when you're already overwhelmed. What are you going to do? How are you going to get to your family? Where's your wife? Where's your Where's your parents? What's your, your duty to them? Where are you going to go? Is it, da- is it safe here? Is it dangerous over there? What are you going to do about food? What about water? Are you prepared for this? Are you prepared for that? Hundreds upon hundreds of questions are going to just all of a sudden be in your lap that you didn't have to think about. You've been lulled into a false sense of complacency. So every plan you have in place, it's like, the shit has hit the fan. Here's our rendezvous point. The shit has hit the fan. Here's where we're going. The shit has hit the fan. Here's what I'm doing about food for the next two, three weeks, two, three months. That's going to be so strong of a thing. So, you know, and it can be so easy just sitting around like we're sitting around a campfire, just sitting around the fire, sitting in the living room talking, you know, and just come up with some decisions, put it on paper so everybody involved knows. Exactly. Because now's when it can be easy, even fun and conversational. When the shit hits the fan, and if you think that sounds paranoid, my God, haven't we already seen so many ways that the shit has hit the fan just this year? How many people have had to flee all of a sudden from a fire, 
from a hurricane. From protests. Yeah, pandemics. You know, just where do you, I remember my first feeling, one of the first feelings when this pandemic was hitting is like, wow, there's nowhere to escape from. There's actually like, this is the first time in my life that I can think of a time that I couldn't, at least in theory, run somewhere. It's affected everything. So, yeah, it's a very realistic situation that in some form or another, and almost definitely in a way that you don't completely expect, you know, you're going to have to be adaptable. The shit will hit the fan again. Yeah, I'll give you another example of something that I feel like is kind of a very mild example of shit hitting the fan for someone. My dad was at work and he was... um, well, he wasn't un- he was unprepared when a snowstorm hit. And we often get storms in North Carolina that are debilitating uh, for, you know, people to drive in. You think it's funny when it's like, oh, one or two inches, but it's like pure ice pellets that solidify and the roads are basically ice rinks. So my dad, being from the northern um, part of the country where they're used to driving on snow, you know, he thought really nothing of it. And he ended up getting stuck in a, tra- a traffic jam for hours. I don't know if it was four hours or six hours or whatever, but he was stuck in traffic without any food, without any water, no blankets, you know, potentially running out of gas. So then your car is stuck. And what are you, what are you going to do? Walk in your like business shoes through the ice and snow. This is something that really begs for being maybe a little bit more prepared, maybe having something like a bug out bag that you can keep one in your car, keep one in your office. Maybe you decide to wait it out where you are. Do you have a little bit of food? Do you have something to keep you warm in case the power goes out? Do you have water to hydrate yourself? And um, along with that traffic jam that was caused in this case by a, uh, a snowstorm or ice storm, the golden hour. And I know Gumby, you've come across that in like prepping books and and articles. Can you explain a little bit more about what the golden hour is? Well, to me, this is related to uh, a bigger topic. Um, One of the ways that I consider Teresa and I preppers in a different way than most, what most people call prepping is we're already practicing certain things. So what that equates to, for instance, by being scavengers, um, we already find alternatives for grabbing toilet paper. And like I said, one of the things we're exploring now is, uh, you know, not needing that toilet paper. And, you know, like people say about everything, it's not about the toilet paper. You might be like, oh, man, this guy's talking about wiping his ass. But it always comes back to that. It's the underlying philosophy. And it really does always come back to your ass, your ass specifically. <laughs> oh. So that toilet paper, you know, when everybody's panicking about when the the shelves are empty, We've already practiced. We know where the toilet paper is. We're heading for the bathrooms in the grocery store and grabbing a handful of it. But, of course, we shouldn't even need to do that because we're practicing not needing it. But my point is everybody's having to figure everything out from scratch. The water's gone off. How the hell are you going to bathe and not get sick, you know, just like get really filthy and dirty? So we're already practicing how to do that in streams and everything. We're going to have a slight head start on so many things. We know how to wash our clothes. We know what works and what doesn't work because we do it all the time. So to me, that's the prepping that, uh, you know, I get excited about. I feel like it's going to serve me, that adaptability. And it's hard to say whether it's going to be better than the person who has a stockpile of food and all this stuff, but it's going to be different. I think it's going to be just a different thing. And depending on circumstances, 
I might be better off than the person that has a stockpile of food and has the unexpected happen, whatever that might be, or they might be better off. But uh, what was your question? (laughs) (laughs) The golden hour. The golden hour. So likewise, the golden hour, I feel like this is where having a plan in place is great because the golden hour is that magical time, let's say an hour, you know, it's not a a science like it's going to be exactly an hour, but a short period of time where people are going to be digesting the fact the shit has indeed hit the fan. And what will likely happen, depending, again, on the nature of what that shit is, is a mass exodus away from the cities where so many of us go to work. Um, go to buy things, you know, have some reason to go to the city. So if it catches you in the city, you having that plan and recognizing right away, wow, the shit has hit the fan. You're going to have a little period of time that you can get out of there. After that, the traffic congestion is going to be really bad. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be something that is going to be, you're going to wish you'd gotten out of there because that's going to be a danger in itself. Again, depending on what the nature of that shit is hitting the fan and what follows that. You don't want to be stuck. You want to be mobile. So having that golden hour, recognizing like this period of time is important. I need to act. I need to move. I need to get out of the city, which leads me to one of the, I think, one of the bottom line things I would do to prepare for the shit hitting the fan is have some plan to get out of the city. It might be your house that you live in now. It might be some little primitive camp you've set up somewhere. It might even be just a general location of woods to get to. But the city is going to be a bad place for a while, for quite a while. You know, there's going to be all the people acting crazy. Not that the people in the city are necessarily crazier than the people in the country. There's just more of them trapped all together. There's going to be, as we see, anytime there's civil unrest of any sort, there's going to be the looters. There's going to be the rioters. There's going to be the vandalizers. And depending on how things go, things could escalate and get worse. And I'm not just talking about what we call criminals in our society. I'm talking about cops, too. They're humans underneath that badge. And they're going to be panicking the same way, thinking about their families. And holy shit, you know, as communication goes down, electricity goes down, it's just going to be a really dangerous place to be around a lot of people that you don't know and you don't trust. And then if you're stuck there long enough, if you're trying to make your stand in the city, consider what happens to all that sewage. And when all these systems go down, they're not being treated anymore. That's a lot of human filth stuck. Even when there's not the end of the world and shit hitting the fan, you have garbage, uh, you know, garbage men and women, whatever, going on strike and trash piling up. And people in the city are just like, well, What are we supposed to do? There's just garbage everywhere. Yeah, let's take a few quick examples from this year. Let's say it's a fire. That's the shit hitting the fan right here. Everybody knows the scenario of yelling fire in a movie theater and people get trampled because there's so many people. Uh, Hurricane. You know, this is something there's a hurricane evacuation route. You know, they tell people clear out, clear out now. It's a mandatory order. One of the things they're trying to avoid is that traffic jam scenario. Think of the pandemic. You know, six feet apart, masks. Who do you think are the people, no matter what your safety precautions are, that are going to be the highest risk? People that are stuck right next to boxed in with other people. Pretty much any situation you imagine of the shit hitting the fan, you want to get away from where the crowds of people are. Um, Maybe for a while, maybe forever. And you brought up a number of really good points. I think to be mobile is going to be a 
an advantage. Like us in our van, we don't have to really worry about packing things up. We already are packed up. We are already mobile. That's not to say that we've got it all figured out. But uh, let's say that you can't leave for some reason. Maybe you are caring for the elderly in your family and they are either stubbornly not wanting to leave or they can't leave. Like maybe they have a lot of, you know, medical issues and they just are not going to make it. So you decide that you're going to stay there and maybe that is in the city. Um, so what might that look like? That's, that's something. But if you are mobile and you do have other people that are in your tribe, in your family, in your group, that you want to meet up with, please, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like an expert here, but please have a plan of a rendezvous point. Um, Even, you know, as stupid as this sounds in retrospect, like when the election stuff was happening and we kept hearing in the media that there's just going to be like riots and it's just going to be, you know, all this chaos and, and violence and everything. My brother lives in a city and I was telling him a certain couple of places where we might be and you know, we don't have phones anyway, but if we did, do you think those, uh, networks are going to be free and clear to text and to call? Hell no. So have a plan. And even like we, we know a guy that's, you know, he considers himself a prepper, print it out, walk it. Um, if you aren't able to drive or, you know, have a bicycle or something that you can go off of the roads, do you have a walkable route to get to this rendezvous point? Yeah. And it's really smart to have a couple routes to wherever you're trying to get to, yeah. as uh, Teresa's alluding to, because you never know like what could happen to cut off one route. And um, that whole rendezvous point, that's something that's uh, a hard thing to take seriously until it happens to you. I, uh, I learned the importance of this in a Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School scout class. Hmm. Um, but we had teams of eight And one night, it was the job of the Shadow Scouts. We'd go on missions at night and have to, like, do surveillance, sneak into other camps, stuff like that. But there were these Shadow Scouts who were more trained than we are to, uh, let's just say, give us certain lessons depending on the night. And this night, it was to show us if you were lazy and didn't take that little hint about a rendezvous point, see what happens. And their whole job was to scatter us. And it can happen so quick. When things get crazy, you can lose track of your family. You might say, I would never leave my kids. I would hold on to my wife's hand as tight as I could. You would be surprised what can happen when things start going bang, when things start getting crazy, when the crowd starts pushing against you. And that's when you're going to wish that you had just taken that moment around the dinner table and things are calm to decide, you know, if things ever get crazy and you don't know where we are, here's where we're going to go. This is where to find us. This is where you wait for us. This is where we're going to be. Because if you don't have something like that and things get really crazy, that might be the last time you see that loved one. And I would hate to like spend the rest of my life with the regret that I just didn't come up with a damn rendezvous point. It's no guarantee you're going to find them there. You still might never see them. But it's a hell of a good thing to try um, just to have in place, I would say. Yeah, my family lives all throughout the country now. And... um... Yeah, if something happened, I may look at that as I will never see my parents again. I will never see my uncle and my grandma and grandpa again because they may decide to stay put and end up, you know, succumbing to some sort of whatever roving band of vandals or they may end up, you know, running out of supplies and going somewhere else and in their journey ending up in peril. So, yeah, 
having a uh, a general rendezvous area even like a I don't know like a park or some I don't know because I don't really yeah and there, really I don't think even if we tried to give a suggestion it would be a good idea yeah. because it really depends on where you are true that Every and you know, if, say we told everybody to go to the same rendezvous point. That's not much of a rendezvous point. No. And you also brought up, um, you know, urban versus rural. So a lot of people say like, well, I'd head for the hills, you know, wherever the hills are, um, if something happened because uh, less population density, maybe more access to wild um, foods and animals and water, but. Again, you know, if you are deciding to stay put for one reason or the other in the city, what can you do? And again, these are just my personal musings and and thoughts about it because I'm not a prepper and I don't live in the city. But uh, people had mentioned like, well, what would you do for food in the city? Maybe, you know, looting is happening. Maybe you can get in on that if you... uh, if you can survive that. I mean, it was just Black Friday yesterday, the day after Thanksgiving and in the United States, that is basically people that are like rabid consumers jumping on each other and tearing things out of each other's hands to get the best deals on a whatever. I don't know. Flat screen TV. Flat screen TV. And so imagine that mob mentality, but with hungry people that are trying to get at the food. And scared to death. There's no home to go to. Who yeah. knows what could be happening? Yeah. And not to mention, your major, like, the, the major threat in a city might not even be your neighbors. It might be the government going door to door, taking your supplies, taking your guns, taking your stored supplies. Um, because they can, because you're all basically stuck in a city limit, and they can squeeze you. Might makes right. And again, you might think of the government as what maintains law and order, um, but the government maintains a facade of law and order that gets questioned and challenged every day. I mean, just watch any news channel, and that's just what the news is choosing to report on. So you can bet with a lot of panicked people, like a real crisis, the government's going to panic too, and they've got plans in place that they're already going to be on it by the time you even consider half your plans. They've got things just ready to kick into place. And some of that could be like martial law. You know, there could be people that are going around that decide like one of the ways to defuse the situation because people are getting really crazy is take everybody's guns. So maybe part of your preparation plan was to have guns. <laughs> now there's people coming around that know where people hide guns. How, however nice you think your hiding place is, they've to... studied this shit. They've taken classes on it. They know the likely places you've got to find a gun. So they could take your guns. They might decide that they need to take some of your food because how we're going to try to prevent a panic is to parcel this food out and could be a good plan. It could be a bad plan. It could be a really bad plan that there's not enough food for anybody. It doesn't quell the, the panic and riot, and it only depletes your stockpile because you were smart enough to, to prepare and save up for this this moment. So yeah, I would say another reason to get out of the urban centers, like you're saying, the martial law, the government is not something that uh, you may find trustworthy. You may find like reassuring the law and order. Um I would say a couple of strengths of the city, if you start practicing them now, is, uh, you know, there's these neighborhood watches. That's a great way to get to know your neighbor Mm -hmm. and to start watching each other's back, to get in more of a security mindset. Because a neighborhood march, uh, march, neighborhood watch is sort of a tier between you 
and people that could hurt you. You're sort of stepping into the cop role just a little bit. And a tribe a little bit. And a tribe a little bit. And getting to know your neighbors, whether you're out in the country or whether you're in the city, so important. Um, If somebody gets kidnapped, say a serial killer has kidnapped someone, one of the things the FBI tries to uh, convey to the media is show baby picture this this person. Humanize the hell out of them. The more we can get this this perpetrator, the serial killer, to see the victim as a human and not just as a avenue to vent whatever compulsion they're trying to uh, uh, exercise, then the better odds are that that person's going to survive. I'd say likewise with your neighbors. If your neighbor knows your name, talks to you every morning a little bit, you've helped each other out, that neighbor's going to think twice, no matter what their situation is, before they try to take something from you. They'll be more apt to try to cooperate with you. So likewise with a community watch, community gardens. Mm. Another great place to get to know your neighbors, to have a somewhat of a foundation that that little community garden is not going to be the final answer by any means but it can be a piece of it and the real beauty of it i'd say even more than the food is the community part of that community garden getting to know your neighbors because pooling your resources including the vegetables and other resources can be the beginning of a strong community that you can defend against people that might want to take what you have, and there will be people out there that'll take what you have, that want to take what you have. So that community, I think, is the bottom line, the strongest thing you can do to prepare for whatever comes next. If you're trying to go it alone, you are going to be at an extreme disadvantage. Indeed, and I really like what you said about, you know, learning the people in your community. Even if that means you've learned this person, I don't like, there's something about them that just rubs me the wrong way. They're yeah, you know to watch for them. Because if you find yourself in a situation where you're, for whatever reason, teamed up with this person, then you have a little bit more insight than if you started with knowing nothing about them. So yeah, definitely taking the time now. And I, I got to say this for myself too, because I'm kind of a bad judge of situations. I wouldn't say necessarily people, but going along with the situation. You're hanging out with me. Yeah, see? So whether that means, and again... I don't know because I'm talking for myself now. Like, do I need to read books? Do I need to, like, be more involved as much as I can during this pandemic with, like, learning how to read people? But that's going to be a huge skill that's going to keep you, like, above the fray. Like, try to keep you from uh, getting yourself into a group that might be bad people. And I'd say, since we're talking a little bit about tribe, uh, another topic that gets brought up a lot in uh, prepper circles is recruiting. Yeah getting people that you think will be helpful and valuable to your tribe. Here's a couple things to think about. One, you know, getting, we are less equipped to get along with other people, I think, than we have ever been before in this culture. Uh, We can blame technology. We can blame um, government interest. We can blame so many things that have intentionally divided us and keep us isolated. Now we got this damn pandemic. Don't even stand six feet near someone now. You know, stay home. Just stay home. Don't fuck talking to your neighbor. You weren't talking to them anyway. Mm. Um, So it's going to be really hard to make a community work to to get along with people. Now, with that said, I have done these survival overnights where I've seen people with very different views go out there to build shelter, water, fire, food for a few days together. And a lot of that stuff will get set aside. When you got to worry about such basic things, 
it really doesn't matter who you voted for. <laughs> who gives a shit who the, who's calling themselves president right now when you guys have to work together to get food tonight? So a lot of that stuff will get brushed aside, I think. Um, but also be careful about how you vet someone because, say, a prepper who is really prepared and thinks they have something good going wants to approach someone and, like, welcome them to the community. You should be thinking, wow, they don't really know much about me. They're showing me everything. Okay, we just got cut off. I'm going to try to pick up where we left off. But, yeah, if you're getting vetted into a community, you know, you should be wondering, like, if this person just showed you everything they've got, how many other people have they shown? You know, you might be already entering into a compromised community because one thing we can be pretty confident about is that people are not going to watch their kids starve. So maybe that person's like, yeah, I got this friend who does a lot of cool prepping stuff, man. It's really awesome. And, you know, just give enough information where it spread a little bit further. But those people are going to find a way to take care of their own. And if they're not part of your community already in that compound, whatever you got going, they're going to find a way in. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's all I really have to say about that. Yeah, and in line with, um, you know, vetting who might be a part of your community, Gumby, you mentioned some jobs for the tribe that might be uh, something to look for. And again, those reading people skills. Yeah, uh, you know, reading through these prepper books, one of the, the interesting things I came across is they were describing the roles that would likely be in a community. And uh, they're very much the same roles that have been in tribal societies since, you know, <laughs> all the way back. But Natural leaders. So there's going to be a need for people to, you know, take the, the broad view to, you know, inspire people's confidence, not just these a-holes that we vote for that you don't know, but actual leaders. Um, facilitators, people that might not be kind of ready to step into that top role themselves, but they're the people that get things done, the organizers, the people that can sort of carry out the leader's um, broad ideas. For instance, you know, we need to ration food and make sure everybody eats. So I'm going to take it upon myself to, to make this list, to get some volunteers, to get things going. Um, security people, people that are going to protect the community. We're going to need warriors. We can't rely on cops anymore. We can't rely on um, the militia, the armies. We're going to have to protect our own communities. And certain people are going to be better at that than others. This is going to be a role for a lot of people that already have military training, law enforcement training, um, that know their way around guns. And again, a big caveat about guns, there's a lot that gets said about guns. Um, you know, one of the most highly recommended guns is the Mossberg 500. I don't know if I already mentioned that. Um, but a big concern with guns, since I'm talking about security, is if you have to fire a gun, whether you're hunting or whether you're protecting your tribe, that's going to express a lot to people around you that you have a gun that has gone off. That's going to sound like, you know, when coyotes hear an animal in distress, one of the ways to get predators to come to you if you're a hunter is kiss the back of your hand. That can sound like an animal in distress. And that's going to bring every predator around because they're going to see if there's an opportunity there. Likewise, I think the gun will represent that. If you need a gun to go hunting... People are going to know that's somebody who has bullets, who has a gun, and because of that, they're probably in some way someone who's prepared. They probably have food. Here's an opportunity. And in that time when things are really desperate and people are going hungry and they don't know what to do, man, I'd be scared shitless to have to fire off a gun. That would be plan, I don't even know how far down the list, to fire a gun for any reason, which isn't to say it's not good to have a gun. 
but just a big cost comes with that. So security, a tribe needs security. A tribe is going to need medics. We talked about this in patches. Now's the time to get that first aid training. That's going to be invaluable. People that know how to use what drugs are left um, before they all, all get scavenged out. Herbalists who know how to use the plants. You know, real herbalists, not just people marketing things they've heard work, but are actually treating people, preferably cu- coupled with some solid first aid. But medics of any kind. Um, any kind of food producer especially if you can hunt without a gun. Man, if you're somebody who can successfully make traps, fish, hunt without modern technology, that's going to be hugely valuable. Likewise, gardeners, um, foragers, you know, any, any food source that you're good at that you can bring in food, hugely valuable. And if you don't have any of these skills, and um, I would really encourage you to hone any of these skills, but if you find yourself in not having any of these skills, helpers are always going to be needed. People that will chip in, people that will work. You know, a gardener can get a lot more done when there's people that will follow their lead and do what they ask and get more work done. So don't despair if you don't have these these tools. And one other thing is traders, people that have hoarded stuff. Um, in one of these prepper books I read, it said consider things that you could trade for other things like bullets. People are really going to have a big demand for bullets. Alcohol. We talked about medicinal uses of alcohol, but also as an escape. Man, think about what a glass of whiskey will mean to you when there's no more ABC stores. You might not have seen one in months, maybe even years. And somebody's got like a bottle of whiskey. Holy shit, you're going to trade a lot of stuff for some of that whiskey. Um, But anything like that. You, know? you mentioned hand tools. The hand other day. tools, yeah. Anything like just thinking, and I could go down a list, you know, but just think what you would practically need. And if you can hoard some of that, if you're in a situation where you can have some extra, they will be hugely beneficial, not just for backup for you, but for bartering items. Because this whole thing about gold standard, you know, a lot of people, there's talk about converting your money to gold and silver. I guess that's if the there's a big crisis and we recover, because I got to say, if society's collapsed and somebody shows up with a gold <laughs> chunk, I'm going to be like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? I can't even wipe my ass with it. You better go pick some apples or something. <laughs> True that. And all of these things, of course, can be useful in both an urban and a rural setting. Someone specifically asked about urban scouting and uh, Gumby, uh, I'll just say it, like you talked about playing hide and seek, like actually, you know, as an adult practicing this skill. And again, I think everything we're talking about, it comes back to practicing, not imagining you're prepared for something you are in fact not because you bought some fancy crap or even built some fancy crap. But did you practice? So playing hide and go seek. I used to do this thing when I go for a walk, sometimes by myself, but sometimes, uh, you know, I was dating this woman that had a kid and we'd do this on our walks around the neighborhood. But whenever we saw headlights, We'd dive into a ditch behind a bush. It was a game, and it was really fun, but it was also practicing a skill to be able to hide. Because if you're getting chased, if you don't, if you really don't want to be seen, and you see this difference in deer, too. Like a young deer will be the one that you see. It bolts. It panics. It runs. It has no confidence that its hiding space will work, whereas an older deer is more likely to have hidden and had success with it and to have realized through practice, if I just shut up and stay really still, there is a really good chance I'm not going to be detected. I can always run if I do get detected. Likewise with us, it's really hard to hide when you feel hunted if you don't have any confidence in your hiding space. You're more likely to panic and run, and that has greatly decreased your odds. So things like that, you know, just making a game out of hide-and-go-seek in some form or another, 
practicing having confidence that if I shut up and stay still, I indeed can have people walk right past me undetected. That's the person that knows how to hide, not just thinks they know how to hide. And the final... Let me throw one more thing in since you mentioned urban scouting. My bottom line for that would be avoid it if you can. I wouldn't go in the cities. It's going to be... I don't think there's any way, unless you are a master scout, which most of us are not, including a lot of people who think they may be, but it's always going to be dangerous. There's going to be more diseases, more people, more crap. So there's going to be a huge lore of scavenging. And there might be a time, depending on what happens, that those cities empty out really fast. And you can go in there and find some really cool stuff. Yeah. But until you feel have a reason to feel really safe, I think it's not worth the risk. It's better right now to practice not needing what the city has to offer those primitive skills. And there is, there's so much trash around, there's stuff to to scavenge out in the country as well. So uh, I would just say, try not to. Like if you're in the city, try to get out. And if you're out of the city, try to stay away from it. I can't imagine a good reason to go in the city, you know, unless you're like, I don't know, one of those walking dead scenarios where somebody's dying of infection, you need penicillin or whatever. Mm. But again, I mean, the odds that that's not already scavenged out by all those people it's a hell of a risk. It's better to just be prepared not to need the city. Indeed. And the final thing I'll say about urban survival in particular is food, because I don't have a lot of experience growing food, but growing food seems to be fairly difficult. As even if you have like the ability to have land to grow your food on, let alone being in a city where maybe all you have is your apartment balcony, um, if that. So I was thinking about it again, um, haven't done this myself, but just thoughts on um, sprouting. So like microgreens, radish seeds that are, um, I don't know how you would propagate this because of course once you eat the greens and you don't have the seeds, then you can't do it anymore. But maybe, you know, you can figure out a system for this. But uh, also sprouting nuts and, and other legumes um, I've heard is better for the protein and insects. So here's your challenge. Can you eat an insect, especially when you're starving? I think you're going to look at things a lot differently. Um, Somebody moving into rural, uh, urban versus rural, uh, someone was asking about our thoughts on animal husbandry uh, in these scenarios, like the shit hitting the fan or the end of the world as we know it. And again, I don't practice any of this stuff, but it seems to me like being able to keep yourself alive is going to be the primary concern. And if you have ever, you know, had to feed chickens or, or take care of goats, livestock, what are you going to feed them? Do you think there's just going to be like a whole bunch of feed around? And the food that you're growing, if, you're, if you can even grow it for yourself, it's not going to be enough to take care of these animals. Um, that being said, again, insects, um, maybe you'll have like a bunch of crickets or grasshoppers or or something like that. Rabbits, um, you know, again, how are you going to feed them? But they are uh, fairly doable. They don't stink. They don't make a lot of noise. And guinea guinea pigs, I've also heard the same thing. Yeah, and rabbits, I I could see going that way, even though I don't know anything about raising rabbits. So if you know, like, a realistic way that you could keep those rabbits fed and uh, healthy, you know, I could see going that way because they reproduce so fast. The meat is delicious. Um, the hides are useful, really soft. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I would think like smaller, the better, for instance, 
having horses and cows, that's kind of a big undertaking. <laughs> and it's obvious. So maybe if you can, I don't know, have a goat. Goats seem to eat about anything, and they can produce milk, which you can make cheese out of. You can eat a goat. Um, yeah, I could see having goats around, and likewise uh, chickens. But one concern I have is I know that there's a lot of diseases that come from livestock, keeping animals in captivity. Mm-hmm. So without vets around, without all these uh, you know ways to kind of try to keep that healthy, I would have a concern, and I don't know how big of a concern this is, about disease. I think... Again, I think these things could be really things you'd be thankful to put in place, but I would caution against putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, (laughs) to rely on those. Like, if you're going to farm, great. Those tomatoes and uh, hot peppers, holy crap, that's going to add to your uh, zeal for life. But also learn the plants that, even if the garden fails, are growing all around you because you can count on those. They come up all by themselves. And likewise, animals, like practice your traps, your Paiute deadfalls, things like that. You know, that stuff that you'll be able to get food. And who knows what's going to happen with that rabbit population. I just, I I wouldn't put an over amount of confidence in that stuff. Yeah, I I definitely agree. It sounds like a really good, cool thing to do, like when you're trying to practice homesteading, but shit's going to be a lot different. So, um... I don't, I don't even know how you would secure your land. You could figure out how to feed the rabbits and have the rabbits. But what if somebody, you know, some marauders or whatever come through and you're saving your bullets for hunting or, you, you know, you don't know how to fight them off. Boom, it's all gone. And or you do fire a gun and now everybody knows that yeah. you've got bullets and who knows what else you got. And before we leave the um, the topic of guns specifically, uh, you had mentioned for security, maybe a dog would be better to to have and also um setting up not necessarily rambo style booby traps but like trip wires or something that if somebody were to brush against it that didn't know it was there um you know you're trying to protect your area maybe have something that makes noise so you know that someone's in your space yeah i can again i'd have the concern how you're going to feed a dog but yeah they're great for security and uh if you can train one to help you hunt i guess they can be useful for that um, but you got to know what you're doing. Again, don't assume you're just going to like have this dog and train him to hunt. Another thing I think we're not prepared for is we take it for granted that if we want to learn something, we just go to the library. We, we just watch a YouTube video. <laughs> but what happens when that stuff goes away? I mean, no matter even if you've got it secured and you think, oh, well, I'm going to have it after everybody else. It's still eventually going to go away. The time to learn that stuff is now. Have it in your head. Have it in your hands. Even more important than your head, your experience. Because trying to figure out how to train a dog to be a hunting dog when you can't just, like, watch videos and go to the library, good luck. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me, the preparation is what we're doing today. And I don't just mean what we're buying and building, although that can help support it. It's what we're learning. Like, for instance, I, don't, I, I imagine you wanted to bring this up at some point, Teresa, but I'll bring it up now. Teresa had the idea of us doing what she called Foraging Fridays. Um I ended up calling them Famine Fridays. Screw you, Gumby. But basically, (laughs) it's a day that we can't eat anything that we don't find on the land. So we can choose to, like, be lazy about it and use it as a fasting day, a cleansing day. Or we can, like, go out and try to be more proactive and practice food-finding skills. Neither one, you know, they both have their benefits. Um, The only way I'd agree to it is if I could have a cup of coffee that morning if that wasn't excluded. (laughs) But uh, since we record our podcast on Friday, we've since shifted them over to Savage Saturdays. So that's what we do every Saturday. But 
it gives us a means of practicing. What do we really know about finding food this time of year? How much food can we really get? Not just that we think we can get. How much food do we wind up with that day? Um, and what's it like to be hungry? When we fail, can we still not throw a temper tantrum? Can we still do what we need to do even with that gnawing uh, hangriness? You know, we got that word in our culture now. I'm hangry. Like, if you haven't faced that and, like, learned how to navigate that, you're probably going to be a big, petulant baby, and nobody's going to want to be around you. That kind of shit can tear apart a community and lead you to make really stupid decisions. So even just situations where you regularly face something as simple as hunger, cold water, dipping your balls in a stream, or, Teresa, your genitalia in a stream, (laughs) you know, to bathe, that's something that, like, prepares you for that. When everybody else is panicking, like, my God, I can't heat water. What am I going to do? How am I going to bathe? You're already jumping in the creek. You're moving on with something else while they're still like, oh, hemming and hawing about it. Yeah. And just to continue in that same vein, like now is the time to practice. Um, Gumby mentioned first aid and our patches podcast, but don't just listen to it. Like somehow figure out how you can practice, whether that's with somebody in your own household now that there's COVID or like eventually taking a class or I don't know, but somehow practice. And I got to say that for myself too. Yeah. And don't be overwhelmed. We are not practicing all this stuff that we're preaching. We are practicing some of it. So if there's something that kind of is lending itself to you right now, I don't know, maybe your, your wife is a nurse you know, and she can help you practice some of the stuff that you just figured, ah, she's the nurse. I don't need to know it. Whatever is around you to help you practice some of it, practice that. We're not practicing first aid. We're not practicing, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're kind of contemplating right now, but we are practicing foraging. We're practicing food a little bit. So don't get overwhelmed. Find a way not to get overwhelmed. Pick one thing, the thing that excites you right now and practice that and then see if later you can add to it. Yeah, I'd add Um, Also, like Gumby was mentioning, the helpful herbal medicine. If you happen to have something that you know could be a problem if you run out of medication, like, I don't know, like high blood pressure or or, um, diabetes or hypoglycemia, something like that, can you learn like one or two plants that are in your area, whether it's in your yard or a trail that you generally walk? I think that would be super helpful to do now. Because then you're not going to be somebody that's like passing out, fainting, blacking out when the shit hits the fan or, you know, shortly thereafter. And in that vein, we did a podcast a couple seasons ago called Death Cult in which we uh, really explored our our philosophy and relationship with death. But that's going to be a big part of it. There's going to be a lot of people. There are already a lot of people dying. Let's face it. I was about to say there's going to be a lot of people dying, but that's part of the illusion, the lie we're taught, that it's not like that right now. It's just now that the people dying are in other countries to support this way of living that we have normalized, that we feel entitled to. People are dying like on just huge scales, but they're tucked away from us. We don't have to look at those nasty dying people. When this happens, people will be dying around you. You're going to have to reacquaint yourself with death, and a lot of people are going to die. I've heard, you know, people say, oh, you know, we can feed everybody on the planet right now. In theory, if you're just looking at it mathematically, maybe. But I I just believe that our population is going to have to decline to come back in balance. I don't think it's a matter of, like, feeding everybody. It's a matter of the whole way we live. And when we don't have this government that is – supporting a really violent, unnatural way of living, 
And there's so many things about this government, like civilization, it, it, it empowers us to have really bad values, to think selfishly. But that's not the norm. What's, what's kept us alive for three million years as a species, as a people, is generosity, cooperation, uh, protectiveness over our people. And these are things that are going to have to reinstate themselves as the population declines. So I wanted to put that out there because uh, – I don't know. I forget why. <laughs> well, that's it's a really good point because um, we hear so much that tough times is going to bring out all the worst in people. And we were discussing this the other day. And Gumby, I think you said like, yeah, there are going to be people, especially in the beginning, that are going to be panicked. They're not going to be making good choices. Good choices, you know, relatively speaking, what we know now as our values are probably going to uh look really stupid when you're trying to survive. Yeah, I'd say being an asshole and a psychopath is going to be a strength in the beginning because <laughs> while other people are still waiting for the cops to show up to protect them, you've already taken their shit and killed them. But I think that's not sustainable. I think our government, actually this whole civilizational structure we have in place, um, actually keeps that alive more than it it protects us from it. So I think that's part of the propaganda we're taught. Without the, the cops, without law and order, everything's going to be chaos just until everybody's killed. I think the best of humanity also comes through crisis. You see it in hurricanes, like the Cajun Navy. You see people like when, when the government fails, people step up. There's a lot of good that's going to happen. People pulling together as communities in real ways that they could never do when it was all theoretical. Um, so I would just put that, that little... Uh, ray of optimism in there that when we don't have the government keeping us com keeping us uh what am i trying to say apart apart and and quiet in this lie that like you don't need your neighbors you don't even need your family just go to work you got the government we got welfare checks we got medicare we got you know the government social security the government's going to take care of you when that goes away and fails we're going to have to remember what it's like to be good people again so that will also happen. And I suspect those bad people that are really ruthless, for the most part, there's always exceptions, I think that will fade out in favor of tribalism because tribalism works. But that, that transition period is going to be a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and uh, God, there's, there's a lot I'd like to tie in there. But uh, just remembering that the end of the world as we know it is like constantly happening. Like everything is changing uh, in in a way that we're not necessarily picking up on daily, but we're out here experiencing life, you know, on the land, um, maybe a lot closer than some other people are in this country. And uh, it things are definitely changing. It definitely feels like we have entered whatever this, this downhill slide is. And, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, nurturing those ties that you have, whether it's with, within your own family, your neighbors, your, your community, um, eventually becoming more of a tribe. And Gumby, you were saying like something, even though there may be tough times ahead, diversity is going to flourish once again in the human species. Like it, it hasn't been able to under all of this civilization, under all of the government control. Yeah. I'm trying to 
I mean, we have so little time to talk about prepping, but yeah, I would I would say that's something to look forward to. I believe that, you know, we're we're being forced under one umbrella of values and everything, which has never, ever, ever worked. There's always been civil unrest. There's always been violence between us. There's always been, you know, an uneasiness because we're not meant to be under one umbrella. We are different people. And I think when this goes away, one of the things that's going to happen is whatever community you find yourself a part of, it's going to eventually, the things that work are going to last. The things that don't work are going to fade away. And that arbitrary government structure that keeps everything slowly moving in a direction that is not sustainable, that's going to go away. The only way to live is going to be some some form of sustainability. Everything else through natural selection will be just selected out. So yeah, it'll be a time of great diversity returning. No more monoculture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this last section I'm going to kind of combine, again, getting back to practicing. What can you practice? We've already mentioned some things uh Pooping in the woods, trying out leaves instead of toilet paper, um, making sure that you're starting at least to notice the plants and animals that are in your area. What have you got in your sacred hoop? If you walk around where you live at, can you identify a few edible plants or medicinal? Do you know if you have squirrels, birds, deer, rabbits, what lives in your area? Crayfish. Um, have you ever walked off trail? And I'm not saying to, you know, destroy environments. I'm saying, like, if you're in the woods, have you ever wandered off a trail, maybe onto a deer trail or another animal path? Have you noticed any signs that you could identify maybe there's an animal that was here? Um, also, when you go off trail, sometimes you encounter other types of plants that you've not seen before, mushrooms. So these opportunities are here now so that you can can get a better grasp of the lay of the land that you are personally on? Do you know where the water is around you? Water sources. Do you know what the land looks like? Um, We walk barefoot a lot, not necessarily in the freezing cold, but yeah, when we can, because that gives us even more of an understanding of the land that we're on. We collect rainwater. Um, Right now, like our water is kind of low. So we're looking forward to that next shower or thunderstorm so that we can um, add even more water to our stash. And uh, let's see. I would say also throw in there, uh, I'd caution against buying new stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, can you upcycle it? Can you fashion it? Because that's the skill that's going to last that you don't have to worry about if you lose that thing or it breaks. So if you learn how to not need a tool, to me, that's the time to buy the tool. Because then you can use the tool, but you're not reliant on it. But anything that you feel like you need, like I kind of got addicted and still am somewhat addicted to my Leatherman Wave. But uh, I'm going to try to start putting it up more, you know, finding the alternatives. Because any tool that you feel reliant on, like, oh, I need that, man, you're in trouble. Because that thing's going to go away. It can break. It's a weakness. It's a crutch. I'd say beware of the crutches. So go ahead and hoard that food. You know, Have all those canned goods and everything. There's a lot of situations you're going to be really happy you did. Um, but, but don't be reliant on yeah, it. Yeah, just know that food is going to run out. And then what? Know what you're going to do when that food's gone, when those bullets are gone. And don't just pretend because it's so easy to imagine you know things you don't. We do it all the time, all of us. 
Practice it. Pick a day, go out, and see what happens. Just one day, maybe two days. Extend it. But test it, test it, test it. Because if you're just delaying the inevitable, I don't know. That seems like a lot of effort for uh, just to procrastinate. Yeah, and uh, as Derek Jensen says in his interviews, we could end it there, and that would be a great note. But I just want to like continue to, to cover this stuff and wrap it up. Um, upcycling, scavenging things, um, having an eye for that, turning trash into something useful is going to be a huge skill. So why wait? Start to practice now. Gumby was making plastic bag mats, plastic bag uh, backpacks, anything that if you know, like there's just garbage piling up somewhere, what can you do to make that uh, useful to you, especially if the shit hits the fan? Um, so yeah, we've and got I, podcasts on it. And I think that all important question, why do you want to survive? Mm-hmm. You know, like if you don't know the answer to that, it seems like that's just kind of open to discouragement, you know, like if things are getting worse, you know, all these things that you love, like I've, I, I kind of only half jokingly say when Bojangles closes down, I'm done. Bojangles is a, a fried chicken and biscuit place. And they are so good. So, you know, like what, what am I surviving for? If I can't get a Bojangles biscuit, is that a world I want to live in? And I'm only partly joking about that, <laughs> but these are the kind of questions you could ask yourself. Um, if you're living for your kids, for instance, like, that's why you'd survive. Are you learning the skills right now to teach them how to live in a better world and create a better world for themselves? Because if you're just living for your kids and that's the period at the end of your sentence, what? Living to watch them slowly die? Hmm. That sucks. And, uh, yeah, I'd say also something Teresa and I were talking about is what if you do want to leave this world? Do you have a method of committing suicide? And suicide has such a taboo in our culture. I don't think it should. I think there's a time that it's appropriate to be in control of your own destiny and decide that you're ready to check out. And, uh, yeah, I think of that scene in the movie The Road with uh, Viggo Mortensen where he's showing his kid how to stick the gun in his mouth and blow his brains out if he needs to. That seems really realistic to me. Um, You know, I've heard other people say I keep opium around for that because that's the way I'd want to go out. I think it's the easiest way, you know, a supply of uh, opiates. But that's something to consider, you know. If you're just surviving for the sake of surviving because you're just miserly with your stuff and with your life, like, I want it. I want to keep it. I want more. Death is coming. If that's all you're living for, that's a hollow, empty way to live. Um, so, yeah, just just to consider that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that pretty much sums up what I was trying to go for here in this episode. We... Uh, we had a number of things that, like, we're not trying to be experts on this stuff. Um, I just, like, you know, like canning and dehydration. Okay, uh, canning. Where are you going to get cans that are clean? Where are you going to get mason jars to have your preserves? Do you even know how to create uh, vinegar so that you can pickle things? And where are you going to store that? Do you know how to make a vessel that can store it. Like there's so many things I don't know how to do. I think I'm focusing on, uh, as, as one article I read said, blooming where you are, like wherever you're at, try to prepare, uh, as best you can from that point. And again, it's your approach. I would imagine some preppers are thinking, well, I can get mason jars and cans right now. And by doing it now, I'm prepared for tomorrow. 
But yeah, just putting that in context of like, yeah, but what happens when that runs out? Yeah. And, and just the attitude, like Gumby and I are kind of, um, our way of life and thinking is, aside from the chicken and biscuit place, is leaning more towards like, wow, wouldn't it be really cool if industrial society came to a halt? Um, whereas a lot of preppers are just like, oh, holy crap, what are we going to do? Um, when the supplies run out. So it's all in the attitude. And again, like your mindset is, is really key here. Yeah. And, uh, once again, ideologically, we're looking forward to the end of civilization because we applaud the implications of what that means for all life on earth. Um, but it's going to be hard for everybody, including us. So, yeah, um, I think I covered most of it. And, uh, there is a listener right in, Nan from Hickman, Kentucky, and I'm not going to do a, uh, a voice for, for Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nan wrote in and said, I don't really want to escape society, but society escaped me. If you don't have a nice car, house, clothes, and other things, people tend to dismiss you. Been homeless myself a couple times, and this was in reference to one of our shots, which we're doing now, uh, The Dog and the Wolf. And she says, I see so many people work and work and never have anything. This country is not what it used to be. And I would say, yeah, I worked and worked also and uh, could say that I really didn't get to where I thought I was going to be at. But actually, in a way, I feel like it's a blessing um, because the how I'm living now is like my dream, (laughs) my happy place. As I told Gumby the other day, like, wow, I can't believe that we're building a shelter in the woods and we're trying to forage more for our food and understand how to, uh, to live more with nature and off the land. Gumby, you got anything else to say about? Well, I don't share your nostalgia for the country being what it used to be, even though I kind of understand it. Cause even, you know, I was born in 74. I remember the eighties and, I do have a nostalgia for that, just a personal nostalgia, you know. Everything wasn't so fucking politically correct and all this, you know, this crap that I just can't stand about 2020. But the 1980s had its own set of crap that I didn't learn about (laughs) until later. So, uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, just to try to take pride, like, as you're letting go of society and moving away from it, who the hell cares what other people think? These are insane people that are racing with each other to jump off a cliff like lemmings. <laughs> so anytime that like now when I have those kind of people sneer their lips at me, <laughs> I just laugh. I mean, it, it doesn't, they're not my peers. Um, and God, there was something else in there that you said. Oh yeah. The working and working. Yeah. That's kind of what led us to make a lot of the choices. We, cause we were among those people that would just work and work and, uh, you know, just to still feel poor and insecure. What the hell's the point? Mm-hmm. So I actually have more security in living this way than I did before. Um, because all the other things that I was insecure about, I haven't increased those. I've actually lessened them. Um, I'm closer to, I don't know. I don't know that I've got much more to say to that. But yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. Like, you know, if you're just working and working to still feel poor and insecure, stop. You really can stop. Um It might not be one go, but you can move away from it. And uh, hopefully we're putting some content out there, some YouTube videos, some podcasts to help people who want to do that. Um, 
Don't look at that step that you're not ready for yet. Find the step right in front of you that you can take. Indeed. And you can find our uh, some of our newest YouTube videos on our website, as well as other links to our Facebook page, podcast, etc. Um, escapingsociety.weebly.com. And also on the homepage is a contact form. So if you want to contact us and let us know um, any questions, comments, concerns, jokes, anything like that, helpful tips, um, let us know if we're wrong. Let us know anything. Tell us something good. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we look forward to this season seven, and we thank you for listening. Ah. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.